This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We'd have a Makaleli cone, a Lampard cone, and an Obi Mikel cone. Do you feel that you have like a Rafa GPS in your mind at times? Yeah. Oh my God, it's better than I thought. <laughs> Is that Gerard? A bit like pre-drinks. You think defenders yeah, are getting far worse? far better in my era. Do you want to be parching a bit? Imagine you're the reserve team player that's told to try and play like drop <laughs> completely play. different way so we <laughs> you used to be pants down but you know the good old days the good, things, <laughs> things change hello and welcome to another episode of that peter crouch podcast with me peter crouch uh, chris stark and statman dave with me as usual everyone okay back in the boozer boys all good They've, they've cleared the bacon up which is good bacon's gone yeah. yeah i thought that was something i'd check when we came in because if it was there that would be Three weeks old, four weeks old. Yeah, they <laughs> must fun. have listened to the podcast and uh, made some changes. Maybe they have. Yeah, I've noticed that the uh, foot massager has been um, <gasps> been put over there, and right next to it is cleaning products. Oh. So it's like they've let us know that they are cleaning. That's hilarious because they obviously <laughs> cleaned the top of where we put the foot massager. They're blatantly going to put it back up there. Yeah, well, they will. They will. But I just feel like they, I think might, they might have listened to the pod. Mm. And I've seen someone actually cleaning the toilet. The what, what else is different? We do need to kind of paint a picture of this place. And I do think we do it justice. Um, so we're downstairs in the pub, right? And the toilets are right next door. There's windows on the side of this room, but they're covered by blinds. So no one can ever see us doing this podcast. It always feels like a bit of a secret that we're doing this. Mm. Today the blinds weirdly are up. And what this looks like to me is whenever someone goes down to the loo, it's like the tunnel at Man City. Yeah. So anyone can kind of walk through. Mm. And I'm not saying we're looking at them in the tunnel out there. Mm. I'm sort of saying it's the other way around. The only difference that I could probably see is like, instead of Erling Haaland, I saw a builder go in there about to have a shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) From a podcast point of view, it's tricky with Haaland, isn't it? Because there's a new record every week. So by the time we record this, he's he's doubled his goal scoring tally. It's just, it's ridiculous. But there's a lot of stuff out at the moment about, you know, is he human or is Mm. he a robot? Mm. And we've not heard this about a footballer since you. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of similarities, I think, between Erling Haaland and me. Granted, I didn't get 100 goals per season. Did you like see the clip of the referee dropping his foam spray? So the referee, obviously, the spray to do the wall and to do the, the spot where the free kick's taken, he drops it on the floor, and the, the play goes on. Haaland, out of nowhere, sprints over, picks it up, runs to the referee, gives it him back. As soon as he gives it him back, starts the fastest run you've ever seen into the box. So he's not just a goal scorer, he's an he's, all-round he's good part, guy. He's quite... Parchy. I mean, it could be his only flaw that we've spotted. Mm. People are looking for weaknesses, of which there are well, almost there's none. Because <laughs> there's absolutely no weaknesses. Is he parched? You know, I saw the kit man getting in all the kits, and everyone's just throwing them, like, in the face. Like, kit man throw, throwing them in. Harland brings his over. I'm exaggerating slightly when I say folded. He didn't, but he sort of <laughs> passed it over. Um mm. But it's the measure of a guy as well, isn't it? Being polite doesn't necessarily mean you're being parch. Such a fine line, isn't it? Between polite and parch. It's just such a fine line. I think politeness is obviously 
you know, we applaud politeness. But parched is, is a different scenario altogether, isn't it? I think you look at his improvements over his career and how quick that is. He's got to be... He's got to be parching a bit. Think about the stuff all going to Solskjaer at, at Moldy. You know, those conversations, improving his heading. Like, it's got to be a good relationship there. Have you got any negative stats on him? Like anything remotely touches outside the, the box. The, the, that is the one thing that you could put at him that he's not involved enough yet in the city possessional play. So he does stay high in last line, and sometimes he, you need some. You know, the City consistently have that ball into feet. That's the only thing that I'd say. There was a stat in the Bournemouth game, I think, where he. Was it was the fewest passes any outfield any outfielder had ever had for a Man City Pep Guardiola team? That's something you could throw at him. Like, could he get on the ball more because he's that dangerous on it? Yeah, it just I, I, as a, as players, if you had someone like that, I don't think that concerns you. Like, as long as he's winning games for you, we'll do all the rest mm. of it. You know, like everyone else will do that. You just continue to win as games. In that Copenhagen game, didn't the keeper? say to Grealish that he's not human. Yeah. <laughs> I like to imagine that it's in that voice as well. He's yeah. not human. Yeah. I've, Which, I've done that before. Like, is it a legitimate question? I remember being on a pitch with you know certain players and you might know someone from the opposite, opposite team and uh, I, like Thierry Henry for instance, I'd say to Ashley like, come on mate, this is a joke. You know like, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even like, it's, it's ridiculous. You know like you just have a little a corner like how good's he I remember it with Suarez I remember uh, me and Craig Bellamy I was at Stoke at the time Suarez was doing some ridiculous things and I just said to Bellamy I was like he's a joke right and he was like he's frightening and that was it just a little conversation that you have discussing someone's ridiculous ability I love those conversations it obviously does happen a lot, but there must always be that that pride of the player who gets to say, "Yeah, but he's he's on." Do you know what I mean? Because he's on their team with Grealish. It's like I know. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the podcast from your place was amazing because obviously, there's if you if you enjoy this podcast, you can go watch it on YouTube as well, and it allowed people to get a bit of an insight into your what you call your office. Mm. It's basically a museum, isn't it? <laughs> It's a few bits and pieces in there, yeah. There's loads. And one of um, one of our favourite things, Dave, was the sign balls, wasn't it? Yeah, they were insane. Because it's your colleagues, really, that are signing them. Whereas, you know, if I get a ball from Watford or you get it in a charity auction or something like that, it's it's generic. But it's so much more personal. And just on the Haaland thing, did you see what Laporte wrote on his ball? I've signed more balls for your hat-tricks than contracts. <laughs> that is absolutely wild. That's so good. But it, just to put a bit of a stat on this, fastest to three Premier League hat-tricks, it took him eight games. The next is Mike Lowen and it took him 48 games. Yeah, it's just no, stupid, that's isn't it? a mad stat. But like, what he's doing too, he's making us ex-strikers... Um, Looks so shit. That's interesting, isn't it? So do you think he's going to set a new standard of, you know, where you talk about the greats, do you think there'll be a new league table of sorts that he will be well, that's the name what, and... that's what's happening. Yeah. Like now, I always remember it was, oh, he's a, you know, he's a one in five striker, he's a one in three striker, he's a one in two striker. Messi and Ronaldo changed that to one in one. And now I'm seeing stats all the time by people like you, Dave. Uh, <laughs> It's minutes per goal. So it's like 60 minutes per goal, you know. And then you've got like Messi's like 70 minutes per goal, 80 minutes per goal. There's not even one in one. It's like less than that. It's just, you know, it makes a mockery of my whole profession. It's something like at home at the Etihad, it's like a goal every 35 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I blame the defenders personally 
You think defenders yeah, are getting far worse? Far better in my era. Far yeah. better. <laughs> also, you look at fullbacks. Like fullbacks are flying <laughs> forwards. You know, there's only two people at the back holding it together. You know, like in my day, right? You had Gary Neville, you had Vidic, Ferdinand, Evra, all tucked in like a four. <laughs> so difficult. I actually think you might be. There's a point there. With this. There is a point there. You know. But what's wonderful about this is. You're talking, once again, for your own selfish reasons. Of course. That the defence, <laughs> the, the, the modern game, I was is super... ruining the legacy of some of our greatest ever strikers. Yes, yeah, without doubt. Are you suggesting that to protect the integrity of strikers like yourself, you should all club together and take him out? Um, yeah. Are you talking about assassinating Harlan <laughs> <laughs> to protect your own and other strikers' legacy? <laughs> Well, it just diminishes my career, doesn't it? You know, he's diminishing my 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 footballing career that I'm proud of. You know, I've got like four hat trick balls in my. You know, he's done that in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> my twenty year life yeah. career is it, you know is encapsulated in four hat trick balls, and and he's done that in consecutive games. Oh, it's a bit like that clip I saw it on BT Sport. Did you see it with? Uh... <laughs> they started the show and they're like, I'm with Thierry Henry. Hello, when, son. Where do you come from? Oh, hello, mate. Where do you come from? I'm going to believe this. I'm doing a voiceover in town. Yeah. So, Shepherd's Bush to film top gear. Because of traffic, need the toilet. No, no, no. You've just, you just come through. Let's come to his podcast. Now I'm going to buy a bag of nuts on my house. Thank you. I told you the tunnel's amazing. Mate, it's lovely to see you. Can we just explain what's well, just happened? It's a strange here, one, that. I, I, no one knows we're in here. Yeah, but it's because the blinds are up, as I explained earlier. Well, we so should we're leave sleeping. them up more often. <laughs> just to explain, uh, Freddie Flintoff has just <laughs> burst into this dance. By the way, like we're recording this at a bit of a different time today. There's no one really in this pub. He's come down. To, to go for a piss from I think what he was saying there was in he traffic. just said he needed a piss yeah, he's in traffic and just ran in here and he's seen us doing a podcast through the window and then come in to say hi we're talking about great footballers what a great cricketer as well it's, it takes unexpected turns this podcast doesn't <laughs> you never it? know that's why we start you know we're, going to, we're doing that training session episode Freddie Flintoff's involved yeah. <laughs> I quite like the blinds up then perhaps this is what we I mean fuck knows who we've been missing <laughs> <laughs> Before we talk about training, Chris, let's get into a few messages. We're getting loads of them sent in, so keep doing that. Let's dive straight in. This is from Georgia, Liverpool. It says, what are your thoughts on celebrating when an opposition scores an own goal? Did you ever celebrate one? And like celebrations after VAR checks, should we encourage over-the-top celebrations after an own goal is scored? It's true, it is often quite muted, isn't it? They are muted, aren't they? But it's the same. Like, you should celebrate it properly. You're not going to go running into the corner, like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the that's the problem. There's no one goal scorer. You can't whip um, out a robot for someone else's own goal. No, <laughs> I have tried to. I have tried to claim own goals though. I remember doing that. I think it was might have been Bremen in the Champions League. I think Gareth Bale went down the left, and um, I've tapped. I, I look. It looked like I tapped it in. But I couldn't really go through with it. I, I knew it was an own goal. And I know that. It would have been flagged up. Did you do the sort of half hand? Did you do? A bit. Did you I thought, go, can like, I get away with this? And look around. Yeah. But then with, you know, with, with, with experience, I remember scoring a handball 
at home to Arsenal. Uh, and it was a blatant handball. I couldn't reach it, so I, I punched it in. Um, but I celebrated like, like I'd, you know, World Cup final with no hint of remorse or regret, and I was given it. But were you celebrating to cover the handball? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. So you're going over the top to just not even give him time to think. They, like, you know, would... must have scored it with his head, must have. Yeah, and that's the thing, because back then it would it would almost be an inconvenience for them to overturn a goal at that point. It wasn't yeah, I mean, as accepted, it was at right? home as well. Like, I don't know, it was... Yeah, I'll say I'm not proud of it, but I, but I am. <laughs> I got away with it. I think when there's an own goal, if it's all got a bit nasty between the other team, you do see players go and want to like rub it in their face or, or must say the odd comment. If there's a bit, yeah, if there's a bit of grief. But then normally in that situation, it'd be a striker like yourself to a defender. Most own goals are scored by defenders, mm-hmm. right, Dave? Absolutely. Do you guys um, know the, the top own goaling defender in the Premier League? I'm going to say Jamie Carragher. Jamie Carragher's second. Richard Dunn. Seven. Richard Dunn's top with 10. Double another, figures. Another Liverpool player <laughs> who good. you play with, Crouchy. Bear with me. He scored four in one season. Check your balls. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's not Sammy Hoopia. No. Stefan Henshaw. Sure, I'm sure you played with him. Oh, that's dummy. Skirtle. Did you play oh, with Skirtle? Yeah. yeah, you played with Skirtle. Seven. Really? Yeah. Seven own goals. Seven own goals. He did it in five years, whereas Carragher did it in 12. Prolific. Do you get a medal for that? Maybe that's... I, I, did, I would not have said that. I, I literally... He didn't even enter my head about OGs. I didn't realise. Oh. There should be a golden boot for own goal, shouldn't there? You know, <laughs> every season. Yeah, it needs a name. It needs something instead of the golden do, boot. Do you think there's less own goals now? There's more and less the same. There's just, really? it just feels around like the this, average. Feels like there's less. I don't know. Less comical ones, maybe. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Less, rem- less like, sort of one reminders that kind of that, that was a bit yeah, silly. Jamie Pollock, you don't get that anymore, do you? You know? <laughs> I like it when they thump him in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really give it something. Like, yeah. Like, well, Pollock had three touches. He, 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 went, he went back, he flicked it over the defender, didn't he? And then headed it over his own goalkeeper. <laughs> I mean, there was time that went into that. You don't see that anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> What about strikers scoring own goals? Is there is are you aware of a stat on this? No, because I only looked to the I looked to the the overall standings for the most, and they, they, what strikers weren't really around. No, no, you know, I've too scored busy one. attacking, weren't they? Have you? Yeah, what I remember. Your... Um, mine was for Tottenham. It's actually um, for Man City. Tottenham for, for Man City. <laughs> in fact, um, <laughs> yeah, it was just like it was like a near post one, and I went to clear it out when it sort of come off the heel and went in near post. Yeah, like, good no, to say you've scored for City though, isn't it? <laughs> So another, you know, on my CV, isn't it? Yeah. Boys, we're talking training sessions today. What we kind of want to paint a picture of Crouchy is kind of a day in the office at the training ground, you know. How can me and Chris apply ourselves to be there? Yeah, I mean, I, I can take you through the, the day, really. Like, say, Monday morning, for instance. I mean, Monday's a bit different because it might be sort of like a warm-down kind of vibe. But say a Tuesday, because Tuesday's a full training day. You know, you're everyone's a bit, it's a bit more intense because you might have a day off on a Wednesday. But um, yeah, train, obviously we'll wake up, school run potentially. Um, and then into training, I'll try and get in around nine o'clock if I can, because then you can have breakfast there. And obviously, you know, the, the food at the canteens is top draw, um, certainly in the, in the Premier League. And then we will go into the gym and we'll be in the gym, something called prehab, which will be basically... You sort of getting your body working. Um, Pre- I wasn't a big prehab. fan of this. Prehab, yeah. So it's like rehabilitation, but pre instead of re. Mm. So it's before training. A bit like pre-drinks. 
Yeah. A bit like that. Yeah, yeah. I've, just never, I've never heard that phrase before. Yeah, I know. It's, it's something busy that sort of crept yeah. in um, <laughs> later on, really. Um, they never, we never used to have it. Um, you know, people like Dave started getting involved and <laughs> <laughs> became a thing, you know. I, I always felt like I'd see people squatting and before training and, you know, I'd see like, you can actually see their calves like twitching and I'm thinking like, that looks like it's going to burst to me, you know. I, I tried all this. Listen, I tried to bulk up. I tried to be big. Um, you know, I, obviously I'm skinny. I tried to be, I tried to put on weight. I tried to, you know, I was doing all these squats and stuff before training and I was getting injured. I was getting injuries. You know, there's, there's reasoning behind my madness. Like I'm not just lazy. Does someone basically tell you you need to do that? And, and yeah. how much does the manager at, th- at that point or the coach, are they involved in making sure everyone follows through with stuff certainly when you're younger um you have no choice in what's been told but i think the way my career was it was a little bit old school and then obviously when all the sort of scientific stuff came in you know designated fitness coaches you know there was people that were in charge of the prehab kind of routine you know was his specific job was taking us in the gym and, and doing this stuff um all, all of that came later and by then i i knew my own body and i think coaching staff and and people respected the fact that you know I'd played for a long time I'd very rarely been injured I think you haven't got a leg to stand on if you've got loads of injuries you know they they'll take over but if I if I got a clean bill of health most of the time and I say no no I, I can't do that I need to do this I think it needs to be individual you can't lump everyone in with the same kind of prehab routine Mm. And is that everyone all at once? So when you're arriving at training, is it is there are there the same people that are there before everyone else, and then you start prehab, or is it just people float in over a period of time? Yeah, you'd no, you'd see like this. It's like oh, keepers, keepers love to love the gym session. They absolutely love the gym. You know, lifting heavy weights, doing extras, um, and yeah, everyone should go in the gym and definitely do bits and pieces. Um, but a lot of people have. So if you've got a knee injury, you'll be strengthening that knee warming that knee up before training, you know, calf injury, doing calf raises, getting that warm. Like everyone's got their specific problems that they need addressing before you go out and warm up. You know, when you turn up, is it is it a case that you know that day ahead of arriving what that session is going to be? Or is it a bit like when you turned up at school and your teacher would be writing it on the board? Um, quite often they did write it on the board. Uh, and it'd be like, and they'd be like, oh, I got this, to, you know, we're running after or, you know, like, <laughs> all the bits. But like a traditional Tuesday would then be, um, you know, like I say, in the gym first, you'd have your warm up kind of routine. Goalkeepers would be, you know, doing goalkeeper stuff over miles away. And then we'd have the warm up, we'd do like, some sort of kind of warm up with a ball uh, then we'd go into like some sort of keep ball uh, maybe some small sided games um, maybe running after uh, specific tactical training um, and that is where the dynamic of the session would, would normally go mm. Was there anything in terms of the different coaches that you had that they would have a theme throughout the entire day of training in a sense? I'll probably touch on Rafa and Rafa's regime just because it was so methodical what he did even to the minute, I mean, it was like, say the session would be an hour 20 in his mind, he would time it from the warm-up and it would not go over or under that one minute 20. And for me, obviously, coming from Harry Redknapp at Southampton to, to then being in Liverpool and having that, I wanted to do like stuff after training, like quite often I'd want to do extra finishing, um, 
like I used to really enjoy doing that and I'd work on specific things that I need to work on and then I'd probably usually have a bit of fun at the end and have a bet with the lads and who could score the most goals and we'd we'd have a few quid on it or a bottle of wine. And then, you know, that was good good fun. But like Raffle was like, no, that's the session finished. And even if you hadn't played on the Saturday and you wanted to do extras, he'd be like, no. You know, this Rafa is... wouldn't let you do extra practice. If no, you yeah, that's interesting. But I feel like it? it's why. A... Why was that? Do you think? I think it's just it's it, everything is he needs to be in control of absolutely everything, and, and ultimately that was the downfall of him. You know, he wanted control of the transfers and the you know very much like Alex Ferguson. I think he saw himself that was where, the way he was going at Liverpool. He wanted to control absolutely everything, and I think that was you know possibly one of the reasons why it, it just didn't work at the end. But don't you find that restricting as a player? You know, you hear all these stories about the players that used to be in training for longer and would be Beck's outside doing free kicks mm. and that's what made him different. Ronaldo, the same. This is this was my thing. I, I still, still felt that I was learning the game. I think I signed there at like 24. I was still, there's still lots of things to improve on. Um, and he was very much about the team shape and the team dynamic and very, you know, a lot less so about the individual. So it wasn't really, it didn't feel like it was actually about me improving my own game. It was about the team all the time. Like, for instance, like one of his sessions was, um, it was like a warm-up and we'd do this thing where we'd all be in a team shape and um, we'd, there'd be various cones set out in a formation that we would, the team we were going to play on the weekend and there would be no ball whatsoever and Rafa would shout left back and we'd all have to funnel over without a ball and be in, in the positions that we should be in if the left back got the ball and we'd all be moving as as a unit it was one of the most boring sessions <laughs> I've ever I've ever been a part of would you all in all seriousness Sprint. run to the well you had to it was like and if you don't go out with the intensity that you liked he would stop it and we'd, we'd keep doing it until but did we, no one piss around how did no one piss around in no, that we, so of... we'd also so like so there was all the whole squad was, was involved so there was 25 players and so there might be you know six midfielders but they'd all be in their specific positions. So the whole team, even the subs as well, would have to move as one over. So say it just the... sounds like what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Or... Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Premier League players doing what's the time, Mr. Wolf? First thing in the morning. Exactly right. There's something about like sort of brain that Rafa's trying to put into each of the players. Pep Linders talks about creating an internal GPS and all the Liverpool players, they know when to press, they know when to move wide when they've got the ball. Do you feel that you had like a Rafa GPS in your mind at times? Yeah, without doubt. I think I think there was obviously the other school of thought where, you know, Harry Redknapp at, at Tottenham was more sort of flamboyant. He'd let you go and play. Good players can go and make up your own mind. You'd have more freedom. And there's a definitely a plus point to that because you can express yourself more. Um, with Rafa's system, you know, that worked... But I, I, there was not, for me, there's just not enough of, of, of it was on the player's shoulders, if you know what I mean. It was like, it felt like it was his system and there was no sort of deviation of that. And if you had a player that had so, you know, ability to do something different, sort of was suppressed a bit in a, in a very, very good system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's talk about specifics. Rafa Benitez, 2007. Just going to bring you Crouchy. Second leg of the Champions League against Chelsea, semi-final, 1-0 down. Mm. What was training like in the build-up to that game? Yeah, I mean, I mean, very, very like, especially the Champions League, it felt like it was his, that was his baby. That was his chance to sort of shine. Um, and tactically in those, in these games, it was one mistake. It was like, we can go back to them, obviously the ghost goal. It was only one goal separated four games really you know either way you know, I think Joe Cole scored in the first leg and uh, Daniel Agger scored in the second and I think we went, we went through on penalties in this particular game but yeah tactically it was so intense From we were thinking about this game Monday um, everything was tactical Monday, Tuesday Wednesday, Thursday Friday leading up to the game on, on a Saturday everyone knew their roles everyone knew their jobs personnel we weren't sure of. Um, so you didn't know that, that Rafa was going to maybe move to a, a 4-4-2 in this game and play you with Dirk Kai up front? No, we knew the formation he was going to play, but the personnel, like like I say, when we did the the training, we would all be in our specific positions, but there'd be a few of us in that position, you know? So the personnel <laughs> would... You wouldn't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was one of the biggest games. And I think if you looked at those games... They were so tactical, and it was the it was the being afraid to lose. I mean, it was it was so much on the line. I look at the Champions League games now and some of the semi-finals and how high scoring they were. That's just not how it was then. It was Mourinho and it was Rafa, and it was be solid and don't get beat, don't concede, and and, and there's enough ability on that pitch to score. Can you remember any of the actual tactical sessions they had versus Chelsea? Just to give the listeners a bit of an idea, Chelsea very much 4-5-1 at that point, uh, Makaleli holding in midfield, Johnny B. Mikel, Lampard in there, Drogba up top. What, what did Rafa work on in the sort of build-up to it? Well, I think the thing with our midfield there, like obviously Gerard had licence to to go forward, Mascarano would stay uh, would stay deep. What was so good about Kite and why Rafa loved Kite so much was he was, you know, similar in, in a way to how John Waters was at Stoke with me like when we were going forward he was a striker and when we were going back he was a midfielder like he had that much energy and I think if you look at Kites and John Waters stats for instance like running stats they would be so um, high um, and that's credit to Kite and I think that's something that perhaps gets overlooked with his game like he would score goals he would be in the box but he would have the ability to go in and be basically another midfielder like Mascarano and Gerard. would that be something in this game that you'd work on in training that you'd have like a Makaleli opposition team and Cow in the training session would be sort of scripted to sit on Makaleli off the ball exactly what, what, what right. do you mean so so Rafa instead of the just the cones the cones would have little names on <laughs> Makaleli and such. or alternatively it, how would he do it how would he well, exactly right we'd have a we'd have a, we'd have a cone we'd have a Makaleli cone a Lampard cone and an Obi Mikel cone um, and we'd, we'd, we'd but does be... he put the cones down in front of you does he do like imagining like my old Sunday league guy he's putting the four cones down he's like Lampard Makaleli like Exactly right, yeah. Um, and, and, but also we'd have, we'd have, you know, maybe the reserves would come over and they would have them play exactly like, you know, the centre forward for the, for the youth team would be Drogba. Was it just about shape or did you, you work on how to score a goal against Chelsea in a sense, how to break them down? Yeah, obviously there was, there was ways of 
you know, we thought we could we could get to them. Definitely, like you say, down the sides, obviously Pennant and Zenden with good crosses of the ball. Um, and you know, my forte was was getting on the end of crosses. That was something that we we worked on, but it was very much secondary to defensively. And um, that was our strength then. Um, you know, if we had Hoopier or um, Carragher and Aga, um, Finnan and, and Risa, Mascarano just in front of them, Pepe Reina in goal, like that was our strength. And 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 if you doubt, we just gave it to Gerard. Yeah, as always. And was that was that ever that was that ever practiced in training? Like just the easiest route to get it. Well, to Well, that Gerard? was just sort of the unsaid thing, really. Like if we're really struggling, we'll just give it to him and hope he does something. <laughs> yeah, Rafa never set up, you know, almost a challenge. Like you'd get a, like a wall or whatever, and just like loads of obstructions in the way, and you one at a time had to try and get it to Gerard. You know, he's on the other side. <laughs> Do any like perhaps. Should have worked on that a bit more. But if you, if you I, look... I'm interested in alternative training methods against <laughs> opposition. So you know where you say about you would practice against an imaginary Chelsea. So when Rafa's setting that up, is it just positional that you're training against, or does he get reserve team players to almost mimic a style of play that you're trying to practice against? Is there anything other than just positional play that you train against? Yeah, you know, every Friday. Um, we'd play against the youth team or the reserve team, and they would set up exactly how they would they would play. And say if they've got you know I don't know some an incredibly quick small striker, he would be asked not to run in behind or not to to try and play similar mm. to how Drogba would play. Not not play. Imagine you, that. Imagine you're the reserve team player that's told to try and play like Drogba. Completely different way. So we can. <laughs> Because like, let's be honest, no one's asked about about them. You know, there might be someone that comes over and you go, oh, he's a good player, but. It's not about, it's not a training session for them. It's the bigger picture. Can we talk about some of the little games that you got to play? So you did the cone one, right? Were there any other games looking back that you thought were kind of pointless or just ridiculous? The ones that obviously annoyed us was as, as centre forwards are the ones that concentrate on defensive like mm. work. Like quite often, you know, like the Tony Pulis school of thought was ham and eggers with me tip tap Charlie's up there which I quite liked you know like Ham and Eggers defensively we'd go and work it out and then we'd go and do some shooting I quite enjoyed that but when you all had to be involved and you weren't really involved in the session and you were just sort of shepherding the centre half and then he played it and then you were totally redundant and you're just basically watching the defensive shape work like that that was a bit tedious but some of the best things for me was that bit before things got serious so you'd have your warm up and then you go into like a keep ball session or um, some sort of passing drill or you know you'd have four goals and you'd, you'd, you'd try and move things and, and score in the four goals like those kind of games I think you can always tell a coach like um, how, how good he is with, with that little period in between the gooch if you like mm. um you know, that period where before you go into the, the tactical stuff with the manager, manager, you have those games to get your legs going. So you've, you, you've got a sweat on and you're competing at something. Like a keep ball session is so underrated for me. I think having a keep ball session, like going into, say, three teams, and it's very simple where, you know, that one team who gives it away then goes against the two t- the two teams. The, the two teams should obviously have the, the advantage and, you, you know, 10 passes would be a goal. And that team, as soon as you give it away, you know, the, the ah, oh, from all your fellow players was so evident. And you'd be like, 
you just don't want to be the one to give it away because that puts you in the middle chasing the, the 20 other players. You're the you bitch. I mean? Well, yeah, you're basically the bitches. So it's so funny if you give away two in quick succession, the, the groans from the rest of your teammates, and, and not even groans, I mean full-on verbal assault from... <laughs> from quite often players like you fucking having one and then you're all just running around fucking <laughs> oh, it's me again like you know that those sessions were some of the best yeah what what were the most fun games because I what it, I love about these games they're all embedded in competitiveness aren't they you're all really competitive guys so you respond well it sounds to me to these little mini games where there are very clear winners and losers oh yeah and that's what it's about isn't it I and think. they're the most fun I imagine yeah and like the, the the amount of shaming when you lose and um, you know the pride when you win and the tackles flying in because of that um, you know there'd be a carrot at the end you know you, you might not have to do as many runs if you win this game like little things like that that mean a lot in, on that particular day but what, what are your faves so like little fo- football tennis that kind of thing yeah yeah head tennis is, is good fun of course um, the, yeah there's little keep balls there's nothing better than a little rondo or or, uh, or or box you mentioned before those games that you play that aren't in front of the manager that have bets on behind them what are they like yeah no great I mean like, like I say like when we used to do finishing or a shooting session after trainer training, we'd, we'd, we'd drag over like a youth team because keepers never want to stay in goal. They just go, now we're done. You can piss around on your own. So you'd have to go and get like a youth team keeper who was keen, get him in goal. And then we'd just do finishing sessions. We'd do a little bit of like a proper finishing session, but we'd always end with a bit of fun. And um, we'd have Charlie Adam who could hit Midge's dick from 100 yards. And he would ping one in and we'd usually play this game where we'd have the first touch where you'd have to stay in the D uh, and then you'd have to score and if you score you're, you're through um, and we'd either do red arse or you know at Stoke we'd have usually like myself Bojan might be Glenn Johnson uh, one of my good pals um, Phil Barsley Charlie Adam um, yeah good, a good group and uh, yeah if you, if you were the last one to score um, you'd have to either be red arse or buy everyone a, a bottle of wine That's red arse I assume is what we're all imagining yeah get on the line you used to be pants down but you know the good old days the good, things, <laughs> things changed um, <laughs> unfortunately uh, it was it, it, we decided against pants down in the such a woke world in we live in now isn't it <laughs> Crouch you had the best accuracy on red arse oh well who do you think Vinci's dick from 100 yards <laughs> Was that when you were looking backwards and you thought, uh-oh, I'm, you know done, I'm done here. The power that he'd hit this thing with. Like, the power. Did you see his last goal? Mate, yeah. his last goal before retirement. Yeah, phenomenal. Like, you, can, you know, oh, if you can hit a midgy stick for 100 yards, you can hit your ass from a penalty spot. What is the distance well, that you would... Traditionally, it's just outside the box. So it'd be on the line of the box. Um, but if you're feeling confident and everyone feels confident that they're in their own ability, bring it forward. Penalty spot. Put it on the penalty spot, you know. Um, get it on the penalty spot and you blast it as hard as you possibly can. And it's uh, it's fun, you know. It's great when you get one off the back of the head, you know, like that. <laughs> it's slightly higher than than the arse. But obviously they're bent over in the, in the hunch position. And any movement, everyone starts again. Yeah, so... Absolutely. And also if you miss the target, you go in with them. So, so you then add to the so line. If you lose control of your blast... And it goes over the bar or wide, um, you're in as well. So, what's your what if you're to any anybody taking a shot in red ass? Would you say it's more important 
I suppose accuracy is more important than power. Yeah, but the, the, no one wants to see a side foot. No. Nobody. I mean, There's that's no an, pride in it's that. It's an unwritten rule. I mean, anyone who side foots it will never play again. <laughs> so, could we add that rule in then? So, if you side foot it, you've got to join the line. Get on the what line. about if you connect with the target? Do you get to have another go? Uh, no, no, it's just, just one go. Like, everyone, we all celebrate, like, we've, you know. As soon as someone hits a, an ass clean, it's, uh, no, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is the, this is all or nothing, isn't it? Yeah, but you got, you're all in. And listen, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I've gone all in and I've, I've gone over and I've, I've got myself in there. <laughs> you're doing red ass, right? Who are we imagining that was bent over on the line and you're taking a shot? Uh, well, I mean, it's been everyone. Everyone you can imagine that I've played with. So is... Gerard's been bent over on the line yeah. there. I think there was a picture of him. I think that's why we had to sort of go up asses in. Like, we had to pull the sloggies up. Oh, we need to get this picture. <laughs> Someone find us this picture. This could have been the downfall of Red Ass, really, at that time. It, we brought it back. Uh, it was a big thing at Tottenham and uh, Stoke as well. I mean, there's nothing better. You know, there's actually a little bit of... You know, there's often players you don't particularly like... When they get red ass, you can see the venom in some of the shots. Um, but who is right? You're taking... So let's say if it's penalty spot or slightly further back, you're about to fully commit. Who's on the line? Well, I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling that was one clean sweep. I think it was six players that hit his arse. <laughs> so whilst you guys have been chatting, I have located the picture, the headline. I told you Crouchy couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. Wow. Oh, fucking hell. Where's the picture? Oh my God, it's better than I thought. <laughs> Is that Gerard? <laughs> oh, it's the... How don't I know about this? So the picture I'm looking at right now is Gerard bent over, his shorts down, his ass exposed. Do you think Haaland's the best ever red ass player? No, it's all about... This. I don't think he's got that same sort of technique, like Alonso, Charlie Adam. You know I mean? He hasn't got like a 70-yard switch in him, has he? No, I wouldn't say so. You know what I mean? But like, he's a Pinpoint finisher. Though, yeah. yeah, finisher, corners, yeah, maybe. But the the worst ones, some of the keepers were, were aggressive. They, they're good strikers of the ball, aren't they? Like, they, 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 would, they would often hit, hit the arse pretty spot on. Were there any injuries? So you played a game of red ass and someone's pulled a hammer or something's yeah, that, gone wrong. Yeah, there was a couple of injuries. Um, when like, cause you know, you're, you're trying to score so much, you're putting everything into, <laughs> into these, uh, finishes and yeah, a couple of tweaks of the hamstrings and things like that. They've, cause we had to, we banned it for a little while. Um, but we also had, I remember at Burnley, we had the tech ball table and that got intense. Often Phil Barnes would be my partner and, um, you know, we'd play against Ashley Westwood and uh, Ashley Barnes who are very, very good tech ball players, I have to say. But we'd play prison rules. I don't know if you're across tech ball, but it's basically table tennis, but with footballs. It would bounce off the table um, and I'd pop it up to Bardo maybe. He'd pop it back to me and I'd bang down a header and then bang, they'd have the same. And prison rules would usually involve like, you could actually go around the side a little bit. So like Bardo could tee one up to me, but then they could come around the side and you could have, you know, some shoulder barges, little things like that. And Bardo would be on the table and like, he'd jump up on the table and they'd try and, they'd try and smash it over and just like bang it down. And that's prison rules. Um, but that... All came to sort of a, a bad end when um, when Barlow went through the table. <laughs> I think if you mount those tables, it's not in there. Well, I think they're fiberglass. Who were the f- most fun coaches? Well, what we should do, I think we should give a shout out to some of the sort of unsung heroes, really. Like, um, you know, going going back, 
um, Ian Wone and Steve Stone at Burnley, um, Eddie Nisvicky, uh, Damien Roden at Stoke. These are the people that you work with day in, day out. Eddie Nisvicky at, at, at Stoke was someone that I really got on really well with and you, you would speak to him far more than the manager you know, because he was on the day-to-day basis, you were training with him. And, um, you know, I loved the fact that he would always change his sessions up and he would really take pride in his sessions. And um, I think as a as a player, you appreciate that. Although he probably doesn't know that we appreciate it, you know, because we were so ruthless towards mm. him, you know. Anything that what went you- wrong, the lads are like, this is shit. Where'd you get your badges? Fucking horrendous. But hang on, so but but this is someone that would immediately be able to report to the coach. Exactly manager, right, right, exactly right. But and also the, you know, he also took the sessions where the players that hadn't played. So you wouldn't see the manager on a Monday. He'd be in the office dissecting what had happened the weekend. And if you're on the bench, he then had ten angry players that are training when all the first team are on a bike warming down or in the pool. I mean, how you deal with that is 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 amazing and like it, you know we were kicking lumps out of each other arguing about decisions going I said shit like, fume, you know like it was a horrible environment on that Monday morning right <laughs> and like how, how he managed that and 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 still we all came away with a smile on our faces and we'd got a sweat on and we got that anger of not playing on a Saturday out managing that is a difficult skill you know these mini games that that happen I I would be interested to hear from anyone that does like different games that you might not have heard of, mm. you know, as part of their football club or, or their manager has introduced something a bit quirky. There was one particular session that I didn't ever get my head around and that was we'd have two goals, but you could go behind the goal. Um, like hockey? Yeah. Like ice hockey? Exactly, like ice hockey, yeah. yeah. That one, we, we did that f- quite a few times and I often found myself behind the goal thinking... Yeah, but was it walled? Was what, it in a cage? What doing? It, were you like playing no. off? Oh, that's weird. No, then. no, no. no. So you could go out. He went long, but over the goal, it could just go go out. But I, I found myself behind the goal thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically in the stand asking Shawcross to hit me. Oh, I reckon there's loads of these. Don't you reckon, Dave? I reckon there's loads of people who've got these sort of alternative training yeah. methods that they've either experienced or would like to suggest. And they should definitely get in touch. Well, they can get in touch, Chris, that petercrouchpodcast.com. Crouchy, one question for you. Any other sports? Do you play in other sports, like a rugby, when warming up? Oh, or a yeah. Tennis? Yeah, yeah. Well, handball was always the one. We used to, we used to play a bit of handball. Um, but you could only score with a header or a volley. I quite enjoyed that. We did that with England quite a lot as well. Um, so you basically had that ball in your hands, like a five-a-side kind of pitch, and you, you wouldn't be able to move when you've got the ball in your hands. It's a bit like netball. netball. Yeah, it's netball. Sorry. Uh, so I'd be netball playing with goals. goal attack. And, um, you know, Stevie would feed it in from, from centre and um, I'd throw it out to wing attack. He's a classic centre, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? Like, you'd throw it and then you'd throw one up and someone would have to volley it. So I'd tee you up on your oh, left that's, peg. And that's a great game. In. It's a good game. So handball, but you have to finish with your feet. Or head. Or head. Head or volley to finish. But like the other thing is like someone could get it from centre half and launch it up the other end and I could head it in unless someone came across and caught well, it. That's, a, that's a, a new sport. It's a good game. It's a good game. <laughs> that's a great game. I thought yeah. that was pretty have, have universal. Have you tried playing netball by the way? Yeah. Just yeah. on the subject of other sports. I gave it a go. They got um, 
we there was this netball match that I was invited to take part in. They had a referee and everything. Fucking hell, what a complicated sport. Mm. It's really hard. You can't move, really, can you? You can't, and it is really, really tough. Mm. My daughters play it, you know, so I I ended up sort of half coaching. I was watching this game, I was thinking, I'm not, not happy with this. I ended up calling the girls in. And then I just had to give them a tactical team talk. <laughs> what was happening? They just weren't, like, they were all... I know it's, it's pretty standard for what kids do, but they all, you know, congregating around the around the ball. And I was like, just spread out, you know, give yourself some space. Like, it's no point all being around the ball. Like, you know, I was saying to my little girl who was the goal attack, I think, at the time, it's like, just go away, let someone else deal with that, you go away, and then, you know, we can feed you, and then we can get on You're there. trying to apply your game, your personal game, <laughs> to your daughter via netball. Yeah. But they <laughs> let, were getting Let what? them, all of you lot, feed her. <laughs> She's the best player. She'll score That's all the outrageous. goals. That's outrageous. It's outrageous. That's every father does, isn't it? <laughs> but it is the same in football when you coach at that, that level that the ball is a massive magnet and it attracts people in. Yeah. We used to play water polo as well. Yeah. Uh, well, the, I know the England team do that a lot, don't yeah, they? Because they're, on the, they're on the now. unicorns, I think, with it as well, if that's allowed. Yeah. No unicorns in my day. But we, <laughs> we had the water polo at Millwood at the training ground. And we used to, like, in a warm-down session, you just constantly be sort of like... Do you have to finish with your feet? Flow. No, it was, it was like, it's, you know, proper water polo. See, that would be good, wouldn't it? But how could you do that? You'd but you'd be at a massive... It. Exactly, so you'd be at a massive advantage. Imagine, well, I suppose you were anyway, weren't you, for water polo? Your head can't be out of water playing water polo if it's the deep have you, Did you ever, as a team with Liverpool, start in the shallow end and see how far in you could get just walking? <laughs> No. Oh, that's a missed opportunity. Well, I did, I did once go on a stag do to Blackpool. I've told oh, you that the was the same, yeah. yeah where, I, where I sat in a deck chair while the tide was coming in. So and good. Um, I did win that particular game. But we were up to our necks in water. You but, told like, Prince William this story. Did I? His I face, William, he looked so happy at learning <laughs> this game. <laughs> like, he, would, he would love to play that game. It's so good because you don't think of these games. And then it's a bit like what we're talking about with different training. I mean, it would be an interesting thing to try at training. It was an Eggy Boff situation, Dave, where they're in the chairs and basically the sea's coming in. Probably first should, one to shouldn't move. encourage it. But yeah, first one to move yeah, uh, when the tide comes in. Yeah, but we were floating around <laughs> good. In, in the sea on deck chairs. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did. I did win, but I was deep by the end, very, very deep. <laughs> yeah, I was concerning because I had to bring the chair back in. You know, <laughs> couldn't leave the chair out there. Right, it's that time of the pod again, where we check in on Chris's progress uh, and his fitness journey with Peloton. They're motivating him to get moving with their world class instructors and top class equipment that they provide. How's it going, Chris? It's actually going quite well. I've got into this rhythm now of. Um... Even when I'm feeling a bit unmotivated or lethargic, kind of forcing myself to go do it because I know I'll enjoy it when I, I get to it. And I do want to give a bit of a shout out on the pod because I was doing one of the classes and then I got a shout out from one of the instructors. But I've never trusted personal trainers. I've always thought mm. they have this vibe of, um, you know, they're going to take your misses. Yeah. There's lots of lazy stereotypes and cliches of personal trainers that they're all very good looking but know it. And then they're in the gym and they take control and they're power and instructional. And I'm sure there are PTs out there that, you know, aren't about that. But that's always been my lazy perception of PTs, I would say. But that's why Peloton's so good, because they can't take your missus. They can't. They can't. They're on the other side of a screen. 
But that's not the reason why I wanted to give him a shout out, Rauji. Like, that's not genuinely, I know it's gone there. But that's not the reason I want to give him a shout out. The main reason I want to give him a shout out is I do have a newfound respect for their job and how they can motivate you. And I am using a lot of the same instructors, I would say, some of the time, because you start to find that certain people are like really suited in how they communicate to you. So whereas I've been filtering some classes by the type of class, like a music class or a 90s class or an 80s class, I am starting to filter by instructor as well because i know the kind of what the way they talk and and how it really works for me relates to you are you an arm around the the shoulder type guy or are you a kick up the backside kind of guy yeah no there isn't so much of that there it's quite i would say it's largely quite positive reinforcement but they get you into a, a trickier bit they motivate in sections so if you're doing 20 or 30 minutes it's not just a monotonous run or a monotonous cycle because you're getting sort of 10, 15 minutes in and then they're describing that it's a real big bit of effort and then you're over the hill. I really want to give a big shout out to Leanne, who is someone that I've been doing quite a few classes of. Uh, She's got this kind of very motivational way of talking. Hi boys, it's Leanne Hainsby here, Peloton instructor. Just finished a class and wanted to send a quick message to congratulate Chris on his journey so far. Well done. Hopefully this might give you a little bit of motivation at the midpoint in your journey to help keep you going. This point in the journey is where we just need that little extra energy booster. So for me, the ultimate motivation and the thing that I think Peloton does best is the music. It's our secret source. I like to say that music is magic. There's something for everyone. I used to be a professional dancer, so I take a lot from that musical element into my classes we're moving to the beat drops and if that's something that you like then you've got to get into my dance music rides because I feel like we're stepping onto a 90s dance floor like glow sticks all that jazz it's more than just a workout with that kind of music anyway if you find the right music for you I guarantee it will be the best motivation like I say there's something for everyone we've got artist collaborations loads of different genres loads of different decades personally nothing gets me more pumped than my 30 minute spice girls ride so chris that could be one for you it's a good one the nostalgia is real anyway what's the song or the artist that gets you pumped and motivated i'd love to know i'm wishing you the best of luck for the rest of your peloton journey i can't wait to find out how you get on go for it welcome to leanne everyone so i've um, i've done a couple of classes with her and the reason why i felt like i bonded with leanne was because she finished with Elton John, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Ooh. Which you don't expect to hear on a... Is that more of a warm-down vibe? Or, or were you on one of your walks again? It was... <laughs> <laughs> it was a glorious... End. No, it wasn't. I'll tell you what it was. I'll give you an exa- It was a 30-minute advanced beginner ride. How does that work? An advanced <laughs> beginner ride? <laughs> You're not quite complete shite. <laughs> You're a beginner, but you, you've, you've done the I'm few. still a beginner, but an advanced beginner. <laughs> it's true, I hadn't really thought of it like that. <laughs> On the verge of intermediate. What's above an advanced beginner then, I wonder? Intermediate. Bag average. Poor intermediate. A poor intermediate. <laughs> If you lads have got one track that motivates you, you've got to turn it on in the dark days, what is it? What would you go for? So I've got a good one. So I think one of the World Cup 2018, to like get the lads motivated in the office every single morning, Shakira, Waka Waka. Absolute banger. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I I wasn't expecting that. I don't know how to compute that. (laughs) 
the waka waka song. Yeah, yeah. You, you get up, you do yeah. a bit of a dance, and then everyone's sort of sorted half past nine. This time for Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so it's absolutely sick. Oh my God, what kind of office is this? <laughs> so we started talking about a standard day in the office for a football, and we've ended up by talking about Red Arse and Steven Gerrard. Mm. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like I say, you know, there's a lot that goes into um, a footballer's life in the training ground um and yeah a lot of it is very very serious but at the end you have to you have to end with a bit of fun and a bit of a laugh and quite often we did i feel like i've learned so much about what really goes on in training well hopefully you have i also feel like we've only just scratched the surface oh, there's so in many much ways more, so much more <laughs> i mean we haven't gone there's just far more we can go into yeah and also so many footballers listen to this podcast if you've got any stories about you know what goes on in your particular train like or any of the stuff we can keep you anonymous we can do it like crime stoppers it's all good we can keep you anonymous um but get in touch how do they get in touch dave that peter crouch podcast.com yeah especially if you have played red ass with crouchy um i think i think yeah if, you, if we've trained together like there's plenty of players out there that listen to this that i've trained with if there's anything you can remember that i haven't remembered mm. uh please get in touch i've really enjoyed this particular podcast i'm hearing next podcast is something a little bit special it's something very different um it's coming out exactly a month before crouch fest it's important that we prepare correctly, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Uh, so I've got a little surprise for you both. I've got someone uh, who knows a thing or two about uh, performing, sort of a global artist um, who I got to speak to, and um, it was really insightful. Is that all right? No, it's <laughs> your podcast. You do what you YouTube want. busy on the fucking Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This episode is brought to you by a load of pricks.net. We are the experts in selling houses. Chris couldn't sell his house. What did you do, Chris? I couldn't sell my house for love nor money, Crouchy. Three different offers I had, all at the last minute, fell through. I turned around to my wife and said, what can we do to sell this house? Every estate agent is failing us. Then I told her, let's go to a load of pricks.net. But Chris, what did a load of pricks do for you? They were brilliant, Crouchy. They sold my house right away. The sign had barely gone up when a well-dressed gentleman came along and offered me twice the asking price. Chris, would you use a load of pricks again? I'd use them every time, Crouchy. Go to loadofpricks.net. They will sell your house like no other. Loadofpricks, loadofpricks.net.